0: Previously on the Tony Kornhazer Show... This is the first live show I've seen in years. Now, these kids are five. These kids are five. And they had The Great Zucchini. Have you heard of The Great Zucchini? I had not until you told me. Some great quotes uh, from, from local local TV, from the newspaper. A blend of comedy, uh, misdirection, magic. I, I was really hoping that Nigel was going to come out <laughs> for the after After Dark crowd just yes. with a lit cigarette. Hey, kids. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This is General George Washington, and you're listening
2: <clears throat> to The Tony Kornheiser Show. More on The Great Zucchini to follow in a moment. To start out, Ronnie Newmyer sent me a very nice note. They played on Helen's cul-de-sac on Saturday night. And he writes, as we were setting up in a steady drizzle, it appeared unlikely that anyone would venture out. During soundcheck, the band began noodling around on Here Comes the Sun. And lo and behold, as they finished, the sun peeked through for the first time all day. It turned into a beautiful night, with families and groups numbering about 150, soon streaming into the court (coughs) to hear the band who were in fine form. Beatles' magic is everywhere. So it's just very nice. I appreciate that. Very nice. And also, and this comes out of nowhere, and you know how they ask you to say on an email what the subject line is? And it just says, if Don Henley were a little, that's all it says. And it's from Mike in Ellicott City. And it says, out on the road today, I saw a TK show sticker on a Subaru. A little <laughs> voice inside my head said, don't look back. You can never look back. <laughs> just makes me That made me very, very happy. Okay, some other things. Um, let me thank uh, the people, the crew from Pineapple Landscaping. That's, of course, run by Finn. Actually, it's run by Alex. Alex. You know, and Finn is there, and Finn is my friend, and Alex is his son. We have a pine tree in the front yard, and the lower branches were becoming obstacles to walk under. And so they came over, and I asked them, Could you just remove some of the older lower branches? Only three of them. And I'm very appreciative of that. You know how long it takes a crew to do that? One minute.
0: Yeah, it's not not long. It's
2: one minute. They cut the branch, they take it in the truck. They leave. Takes a minute. You know how long it takes an average person? Like an hour and a half. So I'm <laughs> a little disappointed
0: because I have a, an, a, an expandable pole saw at home that I was hoping to bring over. <laughs> well, I've talked about this for months. I offered to bring it up. I can get that thing up to like 15 feet. Oh, well. Uh, now, it's okay. a little scary when it's that tall. Yeah. <laughs> anyway,
2: so I appreciate that.
0: Um, there's a story in the Post
2: today. It is not generated by the Washington Post. So it's just, you know, it's picked up from somewhere else. About Jack Nicholas. And the uh, tour, the Saudi Golf Tour, which is referred to as LIV or LVI. I don't really know what that stands for. It doesn't really matter. It's the Greg Norman thing. Jack Nicholas said he was offered over $100 million to do the job he thinks Greg Norman was subsequently hired to do. Over $100 million. Which leads you to, what, what is money to, to the Saudis? They don't care. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't mean anything to them. Um, Oh, and he turned it down. He said, no, you know, I I helped form the PGA Tour. I like the PGA Tour. I'm not going to do this. So good for him. Yeah. So good for him. Much as in Greg Norman's career being overshadowed by Jack Nicklaus, who, by the way, called Greg Norman the heir apparent to him. He loved Greg Norman as a player. And then there was the heartache of all the
0: sort of ways that Greg Norman was beaten late in major tournaments. But... And cool. lost them himself due to yes. poor play on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So but yeah, you remember the shocking gold hair when he first came out to yeah. that Masters? Over a hundred million dollars. Seems to pretty do cheap. That, that must have been the first offer. I mean, if you're willing to offer people like Bryson DeChambeau hundreds of millions of dollars, wow. you'd think you'd offer the most recognizable golfer of all time wow. a bit more, maybe even something in the equity stake. But hmm. well, maybe maybe they did, and maybe yeah. he just didn't disclose that. I don't know. Um Were also you surprised by the Ricky news? Who was Go ahead. No, no, where Ricky Fowler goes like, Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to play in the PJ Tour right now, but now, I haven't fully decided. You want to say, uh, Fully decided? You're barely getting into the PJ Championship this week, and right. you sort of have to decide. I mean, this tournament starts in three weeks. But for somebody without results in the last two to three years, Ricky Fowler
2: still does more commercials than everyone else, still is positioned as somebody who people like. I people gr- totally like agree. him. That's important when you're selling yourself yeah. with the invention
0: of this term, a brand. Ricky Fowler's brand stands for something good. Uh, Ricky Fowler's brand is something that is fun, that is kid-friendly, that goes outside and beyond the game of golf. Some people have said that that focus has hurt his ability to play the golf. Maybe, but he's making more money. Yeah, so I would say he's actually shifted. He's more of the actor than he is the golfer at this point, which is fine. Yeah. But that changes something if you start to see his corporate partners, if he decides to play over there, how they decide to go forward with that relationship. There is, um, and let me say this,
2: I was watching... The the golf channel has a show called Live From that they do at majors and some other tournaments, but Rider certainly at majors. Events. You know. And it was hosted by Rich Lerner and Brandel Chambly was on it and Brad Faxon was on it last night. Rich Lerner delivered an essay four, five, six minutes long about Phil Mickelson, that I'm gonna guess he wrote. It was really good. It it specifically put you in a position to understand everything that had gone on with Phil Mickelson and how he has, and, and Rich Lerner made it very clear. He had fallen from grace. He wasn't taking the position. Oh, everything's good. N- not at all. Brandel Chambly is very, very good. Now he's arrogant. Uh, he is utterly convinced of his own brilliance. And a lot of people don't like him. I do. I think he's very good. You go to him it seems to me he knows what he's
0: talking about. He's a great analyst, I think. Yeah. Right? I think he's great. I think the, some of the question was, it's interesting to look at him and his playing career versus, say, even Faxon and, and oh, he how had no critical playing. he's able to be now. Yeah. Now, yeah. I mean, because a, a good
2: player could say, who are you to criticize me? What did you ever do on this tour? But I don't really think that matters. I think he's very good. You know, when I say arrogant, I don't mean, like, in a hateable way. I mean, in, in a... I'm pretty smart, and I know what I'm doing. Well, Listen a, to me.
0: And a full student of the game, not just some yeah. of the platitudes that you hear in I mean, sort of the day-to-day coverage. He's not even as arrogant as
2: I am, but I'm ridiculously arrogant. <laughs> anyway, he's very good. So I was watching that, and, and I enjoyed, I've enjoyed all the Phil stuff. Um, who, was, who was the woman yesterday who sent us the email about Bonnie... And the ball that Bonnie missed? Oh, yes. I don't remember her name. Well, get it okay. at some point. You'll have to get it right now. Because I talked to Bonnie about this yesterday. Because remember she said, could you get me a Mr. Met Yes, um, hold-up thing, heads on yeah, sticks? Heads on stick. Right? Well, I said to Bonnie, what about that? And Bonnie said, if you give me the ball, so I'll just- give you Mr. and Mrs. Met on <laughs> sticks. <laughs> okay. So- Find that out, and, yes. and so we can pursue that. And the other thing on yesterday's show was the great zucchini. As we went through, Michael explained, he went to see this particular entertainer who, who's got not a monopoly on, but certainly makes a very good living from kids' parties. And I'd never heard of him and didn't know much about it. And we have a couple of emails. And this is from Betsy Jaffe, right? Right. Do we know Betsy Jaffe in Reston, Virginia? I don't know. Not familiar with Betsy. Listening to Michael recall his weekend filled with early childhood birthday parties brought back many memories for me. It seems like yesterday that my daughter, now 20 years old and a rising junior at Virginia Tech, was attending three to four birthday parties a weekend filled with animals, entertainers, and hapless parents trying to keep up with it all. I remember hiring a traveling aquarium for an under-the-sea party held at children's gym Uh, Held in the children's gym where kids ran under parachutes, which was my favorite activity from elementary school gym class. I remember attending a birthday party for my daughter's friend that featured the Great Zucchini, who you spoke of. He was such a pro and really commanded the standing room only crowd in my friend's basement. So you can imagine my surprise when I saw him profiled in the Washington Post a few months later. And it was not just any write-up. It was a very long piece about the Great Zucchini. But it was written, I believe, in 2005 or 2006. It was referred to me yesterday. Matt Rennie said to read this really good. Just as you imagine Krusty the Clown, the Great Zucchini was a smoker. The Great Zucchini lost much of his money betting on sports and had so many unpaid parking tickets, he could not drive to appearances despite earning six figures. He had a hard childhood, and yet he is hopelessly endearing. He haplessly keeps all of his appointments in a book, then is terrified of it disappearing. Anyway, so... I read this as well. It says, Michael, enjoy this time in your children's life. One day you're attending the endless stream of birthday parties then suddenly you're worrying about their adulting skills. After all, there can be only one great zucchini. One other from Mark Sandler. Like Michael, I am firmly entrenched in the kid birthday party circuit. I've seen the great zucchini at least five or six times in the last year. During the first party I saw him at, I was chatting with a friend about some parlay bet I had made, and this guy appears seemingly out of nowhere to join the conversation. <laughs> Figured it was another dad at the party, we we're seated to have a 10-minute conversation about our bets for the week, favorite sports book in Vegas, and so on. All of a sudden, mid-sentence, he says, oh man, it's time to go, and walks right onto the stage to start the show. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little disappointed that he wasn't dressed like a zucchini, but he definitely puts on a great show. And one more from Terry Gans in Longboat Key, Florida. When my son Danny was eight or nine, we had a kid magician from the neighborhood. I can't remember his stage name, but it was David Braun, ably assisted by his brother Gary. (laughs) I was entertained, the kids were attentive, the cake was good from Giant and David worked cheap what else
0: could you want? <laughs> Call Gary about that. Oh, Let's see say if that, that duo is available. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Book so them. Imagine yes. this when Liz so, goes online and she sees, I guess this is on the Great Zucchini's website, uh, quote, it was a nice surprise waking up this morning and hearing them talk about me on the Tony Kornheiser show. He heard. So maybe he's a listener. But I will say this. I think there's a few th- openings for July. Do you want to do a, do a uh, shared birthday party with the hammer? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 74 and 3. Maybe he can make you disappear. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um
2: in the piece, the takeaway, one of the takeaways I had from the piece was a certain amount of embarrassment on the part of the people that hired this guy. Oh, you know, because I guess they were spending a bunch of money on a kid's birthday party. You know, I'm the guy who says buy the toaster. Skip the dinner. <laughs> buy the toaster. I'm mean, this is your kid. If you think this is fun for the kids do it if you have it you're not going into debt for this he's not charging 10,000 dollars an hour he's not doing that i don't know what he's charging now but if you can afford it and he's good and your kids enjoy it why wouldn't you if you know if you can afford it yeah you know no one is no one is asking someone who can't find rent money to hire an entertainer for their kids' party, right? Did you, you found him to be engaging and wonderful? I right?
0: thought it was a great performance, and, and just think about the memory. So I remember in this uh, backyard, you hired our gym teacher from Lafayette. Do you remember uh, who ran a birthday party with games from school? And we still I don't have remember pictures. anything. We still have pictures of it. Today I don't know who you are having <laughs> us play tag around the backyard. Yeah, kids remember. Yeah, so I think it's you know yeah. I. I Sometimes
2: I mean Michael Michael and I were talking before the show and you used an interesting phrase arms race
0: you know, you want to explain what you mean. Well, it. So it, it comes down to, this is whether you're doing an addition onto your house, whether you're looking at what, what sort of car is the car du jour at, in your street, your neighborhood, the school, all that. But for me, I look at something like this. I'd rather spend money on the individual or, or the performer or the talent rather than say a venue, you know, not to name names, but if you were trying to, you know, uh, book a venue that just says we got into this, yeah. this place. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can do it and it, and it,
2: Pleases your child and it pleases you and do it and that's the thing you I mean you seem to get consistently
0: is that the kids at all these shows just absolutely love it and I guess
2: I mean you know it's it's a very specialized yes uh, event, and he does it if the, the, again the story was written fifteen sixteen years ago I don't know why it would change that's his work day the weekends yep. he does three four parties a day on the weekends makes a living and and can do you know as we like to say you can do what you want with the money you earn mm-hmm. you can do what you want with it we'll take a break brian windhorse when we return i'm tony kornheiser
0: check out our new nba show beyond the arc part of the cbs sports podcast network where you can find me john gonzalez nba insider bill Ryder, and ashley nicole moss five days a week talking all things nba whether you're looking for insightful discussions upbeat commentary breaking news interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
3: This This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. I am a hyphen between.
2: Andrew Flowers sends us in. Says greetings again to the gang, sending you a second submission from the band Levy. When I made the Don McLean reference in my last email to help with the band's pronunciation, I didn't realize there was a history. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. I'm a millennial little who picked up the show when it went to podcast, so it takes the twenty first telling of a story for me to catch up on tales many littles could recite themselves. But don't worry. Flutie game, coffee, ice cream, the moon. I've got those. Did you say did, did you see the moon last night? So Full the moon, moon the
0: moon uh makes its appearance a little after the boys go to bed and you have multiple shades drawn in their rooms. Okay, so I saw it. Yeah, it's lovely.
2: Uh, This is from the new EP called Berry. This is called Contradictions. We'll play them twice. On Thursday, May 26th, they'll be at the New Brooklyn, New Brookland, not Brooklyn, Brookland Tavern uh, in the land of the in-laws, South Carolina. (laughs) Fair warning. We tuned up the guitars for this one. This is called Contradictions. (laughs) And as I say, it plays in Brian Windhorst. And the first question for Brian, I guess, is no haircut today. (laughs) Like, you're okay today? No haircut?
4: No haircut and... Can can I? How long can I go? Can I make it to the end of the finals? We're all waiting to see.
2: Is there a line on that? Is like, is it a make it rain line with the girl from DraftKings? You know, is there a line on how long you can go? What's the over under?
4: It's really kind of a um, uh, you know, it's a back and forth between how long can I go and how long can the hair product hold out because you know I've got this you know thing of hair goop that i use and you know the longer the hair the more the goop and it's really a race against time
2: yeah i don't have those problems <laughs> i used to oh, but I, I don't anymore <laughs> yeah yeah it's okay it's okay i've got a career you know i'm all right you know paying the rent um there's living. there's a million questions you can ask about the nba but there's one that floats above all and creates enormous distance between it and any other question. And it is simply, what in God's name happened to Phoenix?
4: Yeah, I spent yesterday trying to talk to some people to figure it out, some people in Phoenix, some people who know things about Phoenix, Tony, and I don't have a good answer. You know, um, you know, the, the most basic one is that Chris Paul uh, fell off a cliff after game two. He played really well at the end of the last series.
2: Don't tell um, Wilbon. Don't tell Will Bond. Okay, go ahead.
4: He, he thinks he well, – I, I miss that. He thinks he's played just fine.
2: No, he loves him. He, he, he will not oh, criticize yeah. him on any level, leaving it to me well, to slam him for, you know, a lack of productivity. But Mike loves him, so he won't say it. But, yeah, he fell well, off. He fell off. Right.
4: With all due respect to Will Bond, he was terrific in games one and two. They were mm-hmm. up 2-0. And then he – you know, he had the entire season he had only two games where he had more turnovers than assists, which is not surprising because he's one of the greatest assist turnover guys in NBA history. But two of those two games were in this series. Yeah. Um, And so he did have an injury to his quad and there's all kinds of debates now about when that injury actually occurred. And I've heard some things about when it occurred, but I don't want to say it without having it confirmed, but that always gets into gray area. Like, you know, oh, my gosh, is he blaming injury or whatever. So I'm just going to put that away and just say he fell off a cliff after the, after the first two games. And the last five games, uh, the Mavericks won four of them, four out of five. And yeah. when you're a team that's won 64 games and you lose four out of five, that's really bad.
2: Now let me just set this up. Um, they were the number one team in the NBA. They were eight clear with a second-place team, eight clear. They won the first three games at home in this playoff by an average of 19 points. Chris Paul is now, if I have the statistic correct, and I got it from Matt Kelleher, and I think it's correct. He's the only person in the history of the NBA to be on five different teams that lost playoff series with a 2-0 lead, which means they do the math. They either had to be swept, as they were last year in the finals by Milwaukee, or they had to lose four out of five. Yeah. He's the only guy, Brian, and his playoff resume is bad. You think James Harden? James Harden's is worse, but Chris Paul's next, isn't he?
4: Yeah, it's that's really hard to overcome. And, you know, you can go to each individual one of those and say, well, this happened and that happened and this and that, but take it in the aggregate, what are you going to do? And, you know, I will say that there is a belief in the NBA that, it's you know that the shorter you are the harder it is to win in a late game playoff setting that when a team can really um, game plan against you the size differential becomes hard to overcome and that frankly could at the end of the day could be basically just true that as great as he is and everything that he does it makes it hard for him against a scheme when he doesn't have the ability to shoot over guys and he's Become one of the greatest um angle shooters I've ever seen where he can shoot the ball crazy angles to make up for the height differential, but that could be at the bedrock of it and for this you know the other thing is he's frequently injured he's for his for as impressive as he's you know been with making remaking his body late in his career, he has fragile hands and and fragile um you know quads and hamstrings and, yeah. you know, uh, you know, again, I think that can go to the fact that he's not built the same as some of these other guys who he's playing against. I mean, Luca is, you know, you look at Luca and you look at Chris Paul, Chris Paul is an absolutely elite Uber elite athlete in terms of conditioning. Luca is not, but Luca is six foot eight and Chris Paul is six foot. So that could just come down to that. But in this particular series, um, they really attacked him. And, you know, one of the people that I talked to uh, with the Suns um, mentioned that, you know, Willie Green, when they played in the first round against the, the Pelicans, Willie Green is, uh, is the Pelicans coach. He was Chris Paul's He was assistant with the Suns last year and knows Chris Paul well. They were teammates. And it was a very emotional series. Willie was in tears after they lost and everything. But in that series, Willie did what he, what he had to do against Chris Paul because he knows him really well. And that was to absolutely wear him out. They attacked him 93 feet all the way up and down the court. They bumped him and 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 pushed him and knocked him to the ground because they knew that his stamina isn't really there. And they used this rookie, Jose Alvarado, who's a, a grade A pest and you know, literally 15 years younger. And the the Mavericks watched it. And the Mavericks came out and did the exact same thing. And part of it could have been just a month of just having yeah. people f- focused on wearing them out. And, and, it, and it worked.
2: That's not the only problem they had in that particular game. Um, De- Devin Booker, who Wilbon voted number two as MVP, had three baskets. Wow. It's a home game seven. He had three baskets. He's better, you know, he's not as important to that team in a leadership sense as Chris Paul, but he's the best player on that team. He had three baskets. Do they have to change something?
4: I did, I did my that Wilbon vote. He voted him number two?
2: Yeah, of course, Phoenix.
4: Uh, man. Uh, let me just let me just
2: well, interrupt this, and, and, and let me just say this one thing, because I, I was amazed by this. So I thought Phoenix would win this game easily. I know how great Doncic is, but I didn't think there was anything else on that team. I was watching the TNT pregame, and right before that game, Shaq and Kenny picked Dallas, and my eyes lit up, and Charles just said, I'm rooting for Phoenix, because he played at Phoenix. He didn't say Phoenix is going to win this game. It seemed to me, Brian, (laughs) they all knew Dallas was going to win this game.
4: Hmm. I, you know, I did not think Dallas was going to win the game. Uh, And I don't, I, you know, I was around the suns a lot this year. I didn't cover this last series. I did cover their first round series. Um, I thought the suns would win. (laughs) So what that's worth. Uh, I really liked Devin Booker. Uh, I, but I did vote Jason Tatum ahead of him on the MVP at at fifth. I had a choice at fifth. The league didn't agree with me. Uh, Booker was fifth and Tatum was out. And it'll be interesting when all NBA comes out in a couple of weeks I put Tatum on my first-team All-NBA, but if Booker made fifth by the same voters, my guess is Booker's going to make first-team All-NBA. In this series, uh, the, the Mavericks trapped him a lot, and um, the Suns didn't have adequate uh, release points, and I don't think Booker is used to, I mean, you know, I'm sure he would say, and I really like him as a guy, he's got a great matter-of-fact way, he doesn't, BS. He would just tell you the truth. He would probably tell you, I've been double-teamed since I was nine years old. I can handle double-teams and I wouldn't disagree with that, but on on an NBA level in the series, he didn't handle the double-teams well. Also, Luca and he started trash-talking. And, by the way, the Suns are one of the highest level of trash-talkers throughout the league. Chris Paul is a relentless trash-talker. Booker is a big-time trash-talker. And Luca is not, uh, uh, he's here for it. He, he doesn't mind trash talking and dealing with it. And so he engaged with Booker and then had two elite games in game six and seven, and Booker wow. uh, got overwhelmed. So Booker, while I really respect him as a player and think he's come a long way, he's going to probably have to develop his game a little bit to prepare for those double teams uh, in the future.
2: Yeah, Doncic is a great player. I think people don't understand this. He's been a pro since he's 14 years old in Europe. There's nothing he hasn't seen. There's nothing really he can't handle. He was consistently brilliant. Me personally, I think the Warriors uh, should be favored over Dallas because I just think they have more stuff than Dallas. But let me get to the other side for a second because I tried to make this point the other day. The Boston-Milwaukee series was by far the best series in the NBA playoffs. Every game mattered. Every game mattered. Every game you thought, whoa, this has changed everything. I personally thought Boston should have won six out of the seven. But now, I believe this. They are so spent. The analogy I made yesterday, Brian, was to the Dodgers-Giants five-game playoff series last year. When the Dodgers beat the Giants, they were the best two—I believe Milwaukee and Boston, the best two teams in the league— they were the best two teams in baseball, and when the Dodgers beat them, they had nothing left, and they lost to the Braves. And They're a better team than the Braves. They had nothing left. I can see Miami winning this, even though I think Boston's a better team. How about you?
4: Yeah, I can. as someone who covered that series and then had to get down to Miami yesterday, uh, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> I didn't run up and down the court. And to make no. matters worse, um, Robert Williams, Missed the last four games of the series, and so and basically the Celtics only have eight guys. Um, And really, really, if you want to be honest with you, only really wants to play seven. So those, by the way, those seven are really good. Yeah. Robert Williams didn't play the last four games, and you could see Al Horford slow down and slow down and slow down. Yeah. Like he played well. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't like it. You know, was like a devastating impact, but Al Horford, thirty-five years old and you know he, by the end of the series he was really moving at a different pace and uh marcus smart um is uh, questionable for for uh, this game tonight because he hurt his foot he's got a bad quad he hurt his quad missed a game in the last series he's limping around on that and now he's got his foot sprain and so now he's going to be even if he plays he's going to have uh, a bad leg basically i think they're both on the same side the right side um and You know, they are, you know, they get a day you know, they played uh, 36 hours after game six, they played game seven. And then, you know, 48 hours after game seven, they played game one on the road. Um, It's a, it's a big giant ask. And I do think that they play a level of, I mean, I know the heat will have done all of their research and be ready for the defense, but the way Philadelphia plays defense is nowhere near the way, the, the Celtics play defense. I do think there will be a little bit of a shock period for Miami about how things are tougher uh, in this series. But, Tony, you're right. You are right. Um, the Celtics logged a lot of minutes, and oh they are not healthy. And um, it's it's early in this series. I think if Boston can come out of here 1-1, it would be a huge accomplishment.
2: When When you watch them play – Um, Again, this series, it's so remarkably better than any other series. When you watch those two teams play, the effort was strikingly more than in other series. Don't you think?
4: Tony, there would be times, and this would go both ways, where a team would actually have an offensive possession where they would run a, a really good set of plays. And they would actually generate like two or three well-executed maneuvers that would generate a a look, and the other team would be so sound on defense. Their rotations and their communication and their effort would be so sound that they would cover it up three different times in the same possession. I mean, in the NBA, if you execute the first action and just like handle your rotations one time and stop a shot, that's pretty good. If you do that on a regular basis, you're going to be a playoff team. These dudes were doing it multiple efforts in possessions, back to back to back to back, over and over and over, and like the level of defense that these guys play. And it's not just like I'm going to slap the floor and I'm going to take my man in front of me. It's the it's the teamwork aspect of it because you know defenses in the NBA now are very complicated. It's not like the old days where they played very basic man-to-man. It's kind of like what's happened with the NFL, where you've got all these complex coverages. Now these guys really have to do a lot of thinking out there because of, of you know, okay, when these two guys set picks for each other, we're going to cover it this way. But when those two guys set picks, we're going to cover it that way. And when the pick is up here on the wing, this is what we're going to do with the back end. But when the pick is over there on the top of the key, we're going to do this on the back end. And you're going to cover that guy. And it And, like, it really breaks down a lot because you're asking these guys a lot to do. But yeah. with these two teams, it didn't break down. But I have to tell you, Tony, after game five, when it was 3-2 uh, in favor of the Bucks and the Bucks looked Milwaukee. like they had the leverage, the Celtics believed that it should have been over. should have been 4-1 in their favor over. Yeah, and me so too. Yeah. I have covered many series in my career where you have a 2-2 series and then game five is a grinder and the loser puts up the white flag in game six. I've seen that happen dozens of times. Game fives many times are more competitive than game sixes. When I got back to Milwaukee for game six and the Celtics were facing elimination, everybody I talked to with them was a hundred percent confident they were winning. And it was not rah, rah, rah. They were like, no, no, we've got, we're in good shape. And it was because the the Bucks didn't have Chris Middleton, but um, the Celtics like, yeah, we're we're, going to be fine. And they, and they were, they were right.
2: They were. Um, and Antetokounmpo, I mean, the picture of him laying on the ground. I, I mean, the, the, the effort. Again, you don't see this effort in other series. Now, you may going forward, but you didn't see it. Anyway, all right, we'll, we'll stay in touch because I love you, as you know, and I also Thanks, love you on the show all the time. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Tony. Take care. Brian Windhorse, who's simply the best. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of really good people, but Brian is appropriately critical. You know, he doesn't, he does not put a veneer on the league like so many other people do because so many people think, well, if I'm critical of the league, you know, people won't like me. Yeah. But Brian says, look, this is what happened. Chris Paul, come on. Come on. We'll take a break. Um, and he's also, I think he's 37. He's had a great career. Yeah. But he's not going to win a ring. He, he's not going to win a ring. We'll take a break. Richard Justice when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. <laughs> You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The
3: Tony Kornheiser Show. I don't want to be good at this. Saying goodbye in death or friendship. It's not a skill I thought I
2: need. This is Levy, one more time. This is called Berry. They'll be at the new Brooklyn Tavern, Brookland Tavern, in the Land of the In-Laws, South Carolina, on Thursday, May 26th. We're grateful to Andrew Flowers for sending this stuff
0: in. It's really good. Michael, if bands like Levy want to send us their stuff, how do they do it? Send us your music by email, uh, emailing it to us at jingles at com. Richard Justice joins us now. and I, I had this moment, Richie, the other day.
2: I got to watch. Uh, I really like Justin Verlander. I liked him when he was with Detroit. I like him when he's with Houston. I want to talk about Justin Verlander. He's a member at Kinlock. He should take me and Wilbon to Kinlock at some point because he's from the <laughs> Richmond area. You can swing that. Yeah. He's one of three pitchers who are going to the Hall of Fame who are out there pitching now, for sure. He and uh, Kershaw and Scherzer. They're going to the Hall of Fame. Kershaw has pitched with both of them on staffs, which is sort of interesting, actually. And he had Tommy John surgery, and he stayed in Houston when a lot of people have left. He stayed. He underwent the surgery. He's back pitching now. I know that there are some people who think he's sort of a self-promoter, but I will say this, Richie. We've had athletes, you know, we've had current athletes on the PTI show over a long period of time. Not that many, really. But he's the best best we've ever had to interview. We've had him four or five times, and he's always good. How is his arm right now? How many more years does he have? Why did he stay in Houston? And I'll describe the Juan Soto moment again.
5: (laughs) That was a good one. Um, He is better than he's ever been. He's 39 years old. Wow. Having missed pretty much two seasons with Tommy John surgery. Um, He appreciates... The game in a way, I don't think he ever appreciated before. I don't see him as a self-promoter. I see him as one of those guys that's so focused on his job that on the days he's going to pitch, and this was this, this was also true of Roger Clemens. Uh, you get out of his way. You he breathes fire, and uh-huh. you, if you're the pitching coach, you got to be very careful when you go to the mound. He was very. Difficult to live with with some pitching coaches in Detroit till he found a guy named Jeff Jones that he had respect. But he's one of those guys that it's a joy to watch, and he has loosened up to me. He has loosened up more this year at 39 than ever in the past. How long is he going to pitch? Uh, AJ Hinch would joke with him like, "Hey, you may pitch to your 40," and and Justin would look at him and go. Uh, buddy, I'm going to pitch till I'm 50. And the more you see him and the more you see how he's dedicated to his regiment and his craft and all of that, um, maybe he's going to give it a shot. You know, we talk about the balls being changed different years. Uh, Verlander gave me the best line about that. He goes, I've spent my whole life holding this thing right here, this baseball. Do you think I don't know when it's different than the previous year? Respect, you know, give me a break. But it's one of those times I felt this way when I would watch Clemens pitch. Like, cherish this because you're going to remember this for your for the rest of your life that you got to see this guy operate. And let me just say one other thing: when he got there in 2017, the Astros were in first place. They were going to the playoffs. They would eventually win the World Series, but they don't win without him. They had had a losing August, and they would had a losing August. And as Brian McCann, the catcher that year, told me, he says. That guy walked in this room, and he changed everything. There are certain guys that expect to go out and win, and their expectations become your expectations. Players will tell you, like, they care so much, it makes you care more. That's the impact. He's, uh, when the, he started 81 games for the Astros, they've won 56 of them, and uh, He's he's helped transform our franchise. He has a great relationship with the owner Jim Crane, who's also an avid golfer. Had a just I think he sold his house at Pebble Beach, but has another course in Florida, and um, that's their bond.
2: Did he stay in Houston because he likes Jim Crane? Because a lot I of people that left. I think that's the
5: biggest reason, but I also think the family was comfortable there. Uh, at one point, Justin had a home in Lakeland, Florida, in Los Angeles and they bought a, he, he and, and, and his wife, Kate Upton, they bought a home in Houston. I think he just feels comfortable there. You know, that's the thing we sometimes miss in professional athletes. No matter where they are, they can be in the worst market or the best market. To me, athletes tend to like the comfort of being where they are, and he had certainly grown comfortable in, in, yeah. in Houston.
2: Um, he, he probably wants 300. I don't know if he can get to 300. I, it, it's just so hard. He's going to have to pitch three full more years to have a chance of getting to yeah, 300. Yeah, that's but this way is, down there. Yeah, <clears throat> but this is an interesting... I remember, I am old enough to remember when John Riggins left for a year. <clears throat> he left football completely, and then he came back, and the great quote is, I'm bored, I'm broken, I'm back. <laughs> well, the second half of his career was greater than his first half, and maybe that year had something to do with it, with Riggins. I am not certain. But in Verlander's case... Is it possible that Tommy John will extend his career?
5: Oh, no question about it. But I also think it's the type of person he is. They had Scherzer and Verlander together in Detroit. And if you want to talk pitching, if you want to go to the graduate school of pitching, hearing those two guys talk about why they do what they do and how they adjust every year and how they add this and take away this, it is uh, just amazing. They should do those two guys should do seminars for for young pitchers uh, about the approach, the mental approach, and the physical approach. And I think in Justin's case, the more he's played, the more he's learned. And I think he's also. I think in his younger years, I think I don't know if he would admit this. He was really hard headed. You know, I'm going to throw a hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, he pitch, He started the All Star game in Kansas City. I don't remember the year fourteen, thirteen, something. And in the first inning, Prince Fielder leans over and goes Ver throw a hundred and that's the way he felt like I was, I'm going to show off. I don't think he feels uh, the, the need to do that anymore. Although he still can.
2: Yeah. Oh, he got the, yeah, he, he got the number high when he was pitching. So the one <laughs> Soto moment is in the bottom of the fifth. He has given up no hits through the first four, but an awful lot of pitches. Right. He gives up a couple of hits in the bottom of the fifth and Soto comes up. There's two men on, there's two men out It's two nothing game at that point. And this is, as I said yesterday, this is the price of admission. I mean, you, This guy's going to the Hall of Fame, and the other guy may be going to the Hall of Fame. This is the matchup. This is worth the money. And Verlander gets him to hit a comeback or soft tap right back to Verlander. Got him... Soto didn't get the ball out of the infield three times against Verlander. I thought there was a certain amount of justice in that because, Richie, he's, he's going to the Hall of Fame. We don't know about Soto yet. And that was, I've got to believe, but maybe I'm wrong. You know the guy. I've got to believe he rose to that moment. And that was going to be his last batter. One way or another, right? He was coming out.
5: Right. And I don't think Dusty Baker would even think of letting anyone else pitch to Juan Soto. You trust him more than you trust anyone on the staff. And in great yeah. players, I once saw this when Billy Wagner struck out Barry Bonds to end the game on a hundred mile an hour fastball. And Bonds called the Houston clubhouse after the game and said, "Hey, buddy, don't get it below a hundred, or I'll own you." And what he was telling him was, <laughs> I, "What he was telling him was, I appreciate that at a time when no one's throwing me strikes." It was your best against my best, and this time you won. And I think that's the way great players look at at other matchups against other great players. And I think that was the challenge uh, for Justin. Uh, the, one of the Astros relievers, Hector Neris, said, you know, when you're around the guy every day and you see how he prepares and you see his focus on game day and how he doesn't get rattled by things and he, he rises to the moment, like facing Juan Soto, it makes you pay more attention to the details of your job. And that's, that's the thing that's pretty hard to quantify, having the, but it's, it's a, a part of having a great player and a Hall of Famer on your team, and especially for the Astros who have all these other yeah. young pitchers now uh, and the impact he has on them.
2: Great talker. He's a great talker. He's a really great talker. Uh, by the way, uh, little will be said about this, in the middle of the year, I guess. Maybe by the end of the year, people will do some studies on this. But the universal DH has changed baseball this year. And you don't have to look any further than the Phillies, right? You don't have to look any further.
5: Right. Yeah, but, and it also ex- ex- extends careers. Uh, it's, what it does, you know, there are only a few full-time DHs in the game now. Nelson Cruz will probably be traded. But what it does is allow teams to A, Find another role for an injured Bryce Harper who can't play the outfield but also the bigger thing is it allows managers to rotate their players and get everybody off their feet it's just uh, another weapon that that the smart teams use but in the case of the Phillies in the case of Major League Baseball to be able to keep Bryce Harper out there I mean that is huge I mean I would think if I'm the Phillies I thank the baseball gods every night for giving us this opportunity. It, it was a long time coming. The National League fought it. It was a cultural thing on both sides. But let's face it, watching pitchers hit when they don't hit anywhere else, it was not much fun.
2: No, I understand that. But, I mean, here's you know, you don't have it in the National League. For Bryce Harper's been in the league seven, eight, nine years, right? Right. He never Perfect had it. Timing. Never had the opportunity. Now he gets hurt, and now he's banging home runs because he can hit. You know, it's a a godsend for Philadelphia, I would think. I was going to ask you why the Red Sox are so bad, and then they won last night. (laughs) Um, But is there – got a theory on why the Red Sox are so bad this year? Because the Yankees have – there's real distance between them now.
5: Yeah, There there is real distance between them, and they did spend some money. The Trevor Story signing hasn't worked out. But it's like all of these things, they just – don't have enough pitching Dan Shaughnessy, our friend, the, the Boston Globe columnist, has said you know, they're treating their 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 executive, their head of baseball ops, uh, Heim Bloom who I think is brilliant, but he's treated as sort of like Tampa Bay North and we're not. We have all the money to spend on big money pitchers. And they just haven't done that and then they have the, the, the lingering issue, what are we going to do with Xander Bogars? Can we sign him? Are we going to trade him? It just hasn't worked out yet. You know, Kike Hernandez is not hitting. Jackie Bradley Jr. is not hitting. I mean, you keep looking at them and you think it's going. It, it's going to transform itself. But when you look yes. at that division and you see Toronto and Tampa and the Yankees, you go, well, maybe it's not because the competition in this in this division is it's the big boy division.
2: I would say that. Um... You know, most years, Rob Manford has had a lot of difficulty looking at his product. But if I'm Rob Manford this year, Richie, and I've got my two L.A. teams and my two New York teams tearing it up, I'm pretty happy right now. I've got my big city set, don't you think?
5: Yeah, Sandy Alderson, who's the president of baseball operations of the Mets, at one point worked for MLB, and he said, I'm telling you, there are owners in this game who think the best thing for the game is for the Yankees to win every single year, and I said, I agree. You mean you mean con- contend? He goes, No, I mean win the World Series because it raises the level of value for the whole sport, and you just multiply that. The Mets play in arguably the most beautiful ballpark in baseball. The way they've operated the last decade has been, you know, a disgrace, and now they have this guy that's treating the Mets as the Mets ought to be operated. Same thing with the Dodgers. So when you look at the sport, and you got the Mets good, the Yankees good, and the Dodgers good, that that has to translate to a pretty good national TV rating when when the postseason rolls around, and it also just increase, increases increases the, uh, the the interest in the sport nationwide. I'm going to add the
2: Angels because the oh. Angels have bigger stars than everybody else. I, you know, when you watch the Angels, when you watch Otani hit. Richie, he gets his money's worth on every swing. I've never seen a swing that powerful. I've never seen anything like that. He is right. trying to th- bang it into the next county, right? Every single time, right?
5: Right. And the great thing is, if they make the playoffs, and it looks like they may, because their pitching has been fantastic. They've they've drafted well. Syndergaard's been good. Yeah. And, I mean, they finally have pitching. But to be able to watch Otani and Mike Trout for for ten years, Mike Trout has been one of the best players. Any of, us has, any of us has ever seen. You ask old-timers that saw Mantle and Mays and Ted Williams, they'll say, this guy's in that conversation. And Otani is just, we've never well, had a player like him before. No. That a guy that can do two things, that the skill level to do those two things is through the roof. It, it's incomprehensible to watch what he's doing and the humility and the, just the marketability of the guy. Oh, my God, are they fun to watch.
2: Yeah, they are. They are. Richard, thank you, thank you. We'll talk soon. I appreciate it. Richard Justice, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Uh, We'll do email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
3: You're You're listening
2: to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: Making toast at the beach today takes everything I've got. Toasting a steak in a proctor silence. I just don't have a shot. I bought this back in 74. I went online all by myself. I used my Amex card. I bought myself a brand new toaster. It wasn't very hard. But then Bruce Levinson emailed me. <laughs> He said he'd send me one for free It's revolution number two But now I don't know what to do Michael Watts, revolution one Yeah, kid, I bet you do There's zero chance I'm giving that to you
2: Joe Arrow's brilliant now. Zero chance. (laughs) Zero chance. Totally brilliant. So you say there's a chance. He said, I thought I'd kill two toasters with one jingle. Uh. Somebody requested the Cheers theme on the April 27th podcast the same day you unveiled your latest toaster story. Joe Arrow. Just absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Joe. Joey the Jammer. Yes. Do um, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel? Out? Yes,
0: thank you, Joe. Just brilliant. Uh, Bethesda Bagels, brilliant as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the DC area nearest you, then pop on in
2: and you'll be thrilled. And I recognize these lyrics today. When I get older, losing my hair many years from now, I used to sing that before I lost my hair. Will you still sending me a Valentine birthday greetings bottle of wine? If I've been out till quarter to three, would you lock the door? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? And it's changed to when I'm 84 because I'm looking at that now. Thanks to our guests, Brian Windhorse and Richard Justice. Thanks to our sponsors, Me Undies and X Chair. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play odyssey if you get the show through apple Podcasts, please leave us a review it's
0: graduation season go check out johnnyo.com father's day is just around the corner uh calcutta shorts great on and the course. we love johnnyo we Trapp. do i wear clothes from johnnyo every single
2: day T- tk trap
0: that's T-K the code trap yeah because i can't get out of this just story. wait till this week and we'll have epic <laughs> stories <From> jennifer
2: stein <laughs> uh boulevard homemade ice cream and gelato boynton beach zero affiliation from old palm that's a left a right a left right into the parking lot Too many David Aldrich moments to name. that would blow your mind. That's it. That's the email. Great email. Directions Uh, from from a golf course. Your conversation with Chuck Culpepper about what you got on your list of events you covered as sports writers made me think of my friend Ed Schuyler Jr. You see, Ed and I are from the same hometown, Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. I know Ed Schuyler. And after Ed finished a very distinguished three-decade career as a sports writer for the Associated Press, he returned to Bloomsburg in retirement and decided to cover events and write periodically for the local newspaper, the Press Enterprise, at which I happened to be a 20-something kid just getting started in a mediocre writing career. I picked Ed's brain about writing as often as I could because Ed was the national boxing and horse racing writer for the AP from the late 60s through 2002. So he'd seen and covered it all. Secretariat at the Belmont, he got that. The Thrill in Manila, he got that. The Rumble in Jungle, he got that. Tyson biting Holyfield, he got that. This is a guy who was in the International Boxing Hall of Fame, and when he returned to Bloomsburg, he told us at the paper he'd be willing to cover anything a couple of times a week to get out of the house and continue writing. Well, his first assignment was not very good field hockey game between the two local rival high school teams, had maybe a combined six or seven wins. It was as ugly as you'd expect. After covering the game and filing his story through email, he called our sports editor and just said, you know, I covered Ollie Frazier, right? (laughs) And he never had to cover field hockey again. (laughs) <laughs> Weirdly, the only time he ever talked about the things he had covered with the AP was when I once asked what was being said in the press box when Secretariat was running away from the belt with the Belmont. He said nobody really said anything. We were all waiting for that big red son of a gun, not gun, to fall over because there's no way a horse could run that fast for that long. And for me, that was enough. And this is Mitch Rupert in wilkes Pennsylvania. I knew Ed Schuyler very well. Not very well, but I mean, I knew him. I was covered a lot of things with him. That's a great line. You know, I covered all these things <laughs> If only you were
0: tapped to go to the Belmont.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's the biggest hurt in my life in sports that I didn't get to see Secretariat Live in that one. Hal Grossman, Hazlett, New Jersey. Just got off a JetBlue flight from Newark to Orlando. Sat directly behind Annika Swornstamp. How about that? Let's do that. Yeah. Let's do that as a game. Who did you sit behind or sit near at something? Yeah. That's good. From our friend Alex Taneo in Martinsburg, West Virginia. I found out why the Derby winner is not posting for the Preakness. I already he got punched in the face <laughs> and he can't make it. Got punched in the face by the guy on the, the Outrider. <laughs> right. Yeah. From Dina in Damascus, who isn't Dr. Yegodich, just Master Master Yegodich. I have two master's degrees. My favorite pharmacist is my daughter. She's Dr. Yegodich, not Dr. in Damascus, in case you were wondering. Uh, she's getting married July 23rd, but somehow didn't want to invite you to her wedding. Obviously, hmm. I did not raise her well, except for the pharmacist thing, which worked out okay. From Justin Johnson in Arlington, Virginia. I just received a text from my wife that the new coffee maker chairs and piano came in today. I didn't know we were getting a new coffee maker chairs <laughs> or a piano. From Mitch McCabe in Allen Park, Michigan. Of course Steve Kerr was furious with Dylan Brooks after he took out Gary Payton II. You're supposed to use the code, not break the code. Well, that's funny. That's a good point. From Jess in St. Petersburg, Florida. After hearing Dan Burns' great song announcement about opening for The Who, I thought you might, might like to know that Leslie Mendelson. Also open for The Who, a few dates in April. We saw them at Amelie Arena in Tampa. Does this qualify as a David Aldrich moment? Also, I must confess that I never make sure I'm wearing white when I go out on my bike. If it has ever happened, it was a coincidence. I hope you and Mick can forgive me, and we can, indeed. From Ken Vastola, or should I just sign it, KV, retired RPI professor and signs fine wine geek. My cousin Alan went to RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, also the home of Adam Oates player. Oh, really? okay. I'm not a sports writer, so I don't have a long list of historic events like you. But as a lifelong Mets fan, I cherish the day I was in Shea Stadium in 1969 when they clinched the NL East. After the game, we all got to walk on the field. I was in heaven. I was there when they went into first place for the first time. Aside from sports, I was at the March on Washington Jobs and Freedom on August 28, 1963, when Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. Also in 1969, I saw Janis Joplin live at the Fillmore East. The opening act was The Grateful Dead, their advantages to being old. I've also seen the original Beach Boys and the Kinks live. And in my own field, electrical and computer engineering, I had lunch in Brighton, England with Claude Shannon. He was a genius whose name should be known as well as Albert Einstein. In his master's thesis, he applied basic logic, Boolean algebra, to the analysis of digital circuits, the foundation of all computers and digital devices we use today. Later, he invented information theory, which is the basis of modern data compression and digital communication that the Internet is built on. If that doesn't impress you enough, I have 16 outlets in my very small. <laughs> that is impressive. From Mark Lynch in Camby, Indiana. I saw Dan Dreesen hit an inside-the-park home run at Riverfront. That's what's in my pocket sparking. (laughs) From Rob Lowe, not that Rob Lowe, in North Royalton, Ohio. Can we keep the email section to one silly little game per week? On Monday, we had a little... Litany of local pharmacies. And on Wednesday, just random announcements from Littles. It's hard to keep up. Anyway, as both a member of the pharmacy profession and the spouse of a pharmacist, I was interested in the conversations about local pharmacies. CVS is nice, and the folks at Walgreens are fine. But let's not forget about those pharmacists who work within supermarkets. The Giant Eagle Pharmacy on Royalton Road in North Royalton is very nice with a friendly staff. But the new pharmacy at the Migers on Broadview Road in Seven Hills is exquisite. Not only are they nice, but they're fast. That's right, a pharmacy that is It does happen. Anyway, to keep up, I'd like to announce that my middle non-masculine child will be graduating from Magnificat High School on May 23rd. Like LeBron. That's coming up. Like LeBron, she'll be taking her talents to South Beach. Unfortunately, the South Beach is on the Ohio River near Xavier University, where she'll be (laughs) double majoring in English and vocal performance. So any advice to being an aspiring writer will be appreciated. I would have invited you, Michael and Nigel, but space is limited and I'm realistic. I have very small advice for people that want to be writers. Very simple, write all the time. Sit in your house and write. Come up with a word and and just include that word in a sentence and then you know, do more sentences and include the word and see what just write all the time. If you're a singer, you sing all the time. If you're a baseball player, you play baseball all the time. It's write all the time. From Christopher Griffith in Wilmington, Delaware. So we're writing short, not necessarily relevant at all emails now. That's it. That's the email. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Will from Tuscumbia I don't know where that is I'm currently listening To someone talk about Listening to the show While they were mowing the grass While I am mowing the grass And now I am sneezing in twos While mowing the grass Your wife sneezes in twos Threes threes, threes Yep yep, always threes You do it in fives Isn't that what you said? Fives, tens, whatever
0: Always the pepper for you
2: Ken Williams Birmingham, Alabama I always sneeze twice Derek from Akron I only sneeze in twos No threes here just like Jerry West, baby. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. And Derek in Abilene, Kansas, population 6,500. Bonjour, old sport. I've been to Pittsburgh, but I don't have a favorite pharmacy there. You should get one, Derek. It's important. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white.
0: Who's your favorite pitcher? Max Scherzer. What does Max Scherzer do? Tinks.
2: Who's your favorite batter?
0: Tutu. Soto.
2: Soto? Uh.
3: I am a hyphen between the salt of the earth and the dirt of humanity, and I can't quite catch what it means, the blood in our veins poured out of divinity, and glory. been wishing and I Say that lie.